This is Mary Pope Osborne, and you're listening to the Great Big Beautiful Podcast. All of my siblings had a different take about what was going down in the house. Mm. <laughs> so it's like, it's like, well, you you have, a, 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 Jamie, you said you have two children. Yes. Each one will see you differently. They already do. <laughs> they, they'll grow up and they'll talk about you and you'll say, that, did we grow up in the same yeah. house? Like mean, here are your hosts, Jamie Green and Justin Connors. I feel so good now. I feel like it just reminds me of childhood and watch it. I watch Sesame Street at my grandmother's house because my she babysat me when I was preschool. Mm-hmm. And that's where I watch every single day, Sesame Street, without fail. From, from two until five years old, every day. <laughs> ah, that's beautiful. I mean, it's, I think it'd be hard to find somebody... Whose childhood it didn't form part of. I know. You know? Unbelievable. It's, it's mm. just, and, and I know she's not Maria. I know she's the actress that plays <laughs> her. But, you know, the voice, just hearing yeah. her voice, like, it just brings so many cool feelings to you. And, and, you know, I was even thinking about it while she was talking. I was like, there was a book out. It won the, a Caldecott medal, I believe, uh, Last Stop on Market Street. I don't know if you... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And just that book even reminds me of Sesame Street, just because yeah. of the material in it. And I was just thinking about that book, and I was like, you know, oh, I feel so good. I feel like I'm doing it again. <laughs> <laughs> Some episodes are more feel-good than others. Yes. Perfect. I love it. Now I feel like we need to sing a Sesame Street song. Do it. <laughs> I, um, last winter, yep. last winter, I took Sam up to New York and one of the museums there, the Museum of the Moving Image, which is over in, um, Bronx, right. over in the Bronx, I'm pretty sure. No, maybe it's in Queens. Maybe it's in Queens. Um, uh, they had a, it wasn't an exhibit, but, um, they had a special event, mm-hmm. um, it will it will be that museum will be the home of ex, of exhibits for Jim Henson and okay. some of the Muppet stuff. Yeah. So they had an event there that was called the Humans of Sesame Street. Nice. And it was almost everybody, and she Come was there, on. and yeah, and um, oh. I'll have to show you the picture because we went up on stage later afterwards, and we took a picture of Sam and I with the entire cast. Wow. Um, but they so they were all on stage, and they had some video retrospectives and everything, and then um, at the very end of the performance. I mean, it was, I should know their actual names. It was Luis and Gordon and Bob mm-hmm. and Maria and, uh, and, um, um, 
um, Alan, who's in Mr. Hooper's store, and someone else. I can't remember who else. So at the end of the performance, they all got up, and they all sang um, that song, Sing. You know, sing, sing a song, sing out loud, sing out strong, that song. (laughs) And it was like, then the entire audience started singing with them, but it was it was just so it was like childhood come to life, you know, because it was right. it was these people that we had grown up watching, you know, and they were our friends, Luis and Bob and Gordon and Maria. Like they were they weren't just actors. They no, weren't just people no, like no. they were your friends. Exactly. They came into your home every day mm-hmm. and they taught you and they told you things and you lived through that their stories. And to see them on stage singing one of these iconic wow. Sesame Street songs, I, I, I filmed the whole thing and I put it on YouTube. Um, so I'm going to. I'll link, link to it with to this post. Sure. Um, but it was just, it was heartwarming is what it was. You know, it was, yeah. and it's to, to watch, there were, there were obviously, there were kids in the audience, mm-hmm. uh, but it was mostly adults and it was mostly adults of, of our age who grew up watching this. Mm-hmm. And it was just, it was so heartwarming to see all these grown adults singing this song with the cast from Sesame Street. And it was just like, it was just beautiful. It was just, <laughs> oh, it was just amazing. It was, it was so that, wonderful. That's like the type of experience that, you'll never forget for the rest of your life doing something. No, that's amazing. Yeah. And that picture, and I'll, I'll try to find the picture too, but the picture, and unfortunately when we got up, cause there was a line of people trying to get up on of stage, course. taking their pictures. Yep. Unfortunately, when we got up there, uh, Sonia had actually stepped away and was talking to somebody else. Oh, so she's not okay. in the picture. Nice. Um, but it's, it's Sam and me and everybody else. And it's just, it's amazing. Wow. Um, wow, wow. my one other story, and then I'm going to stop talking. Okay. <laughs> Is when Sesame Sesame Street right now is I think in the forty sixth season. Yeah. Um. When they had the big cell, they had a big celebration for their fortieth anniversary mm-hmm. when they were entering the fortieth season, which was obviously six years ago. So Zoe, who's now seven, my daughter, was a baby. Mm-hmm. They had a few different events to celebrate, and one of the events was here in D.C. And we took her, even though she was a baby. But it was it was Sonia, it was um, the Muppeteers who who did who did Elmo, mm-hmm. who did who did Zoe the puppet, and who did Abby. Right. And they were all on stage. And again, it was like a Q&A kind of thing. But then the, the puppeteers all brought out the puppets. Right. And so like they, you could see them. And they didn't try to hide it or anything. They were just right. sitting there, and they put the puppets on their hands, and they had them talking. Mm-hmm. And it was amazing. And then again, afterwards, they took pictures. So we have this picture of Zoe. She was just a baby. Um, with with uh elmo abby and zoe mm-hmm. like the actual puppets like all like right next to her That's it's like awesome. she's taking and like the way they were taking the pictures was they was just do the right. puppets and the, the puppeteers the actors were, were hiding so mm-hmm. they're not in the picture even though i think we should have gotten a picture with them too um so it's like those two pictures one of zoe when she was a baby with the, wow. with the puppets when we got to see them and then this with with all the humans of sesame street with my son so it's like Sesame Street is a big, pretty big part of my life, obviously. Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> and, and, you know, and it's not just you. Obviously, it's anybody that's grown up in the, in the last however many years has been. Yeah, right? like 45 years. 45 years. So I put I put up a post on my personal Facebook that we were interviewing Sonia. And, you know, just people are liking it. And, and my friend Kara commented, OMG, I've crushed on her since I was little. Jealous. It, you know what I mean? Like, that's the feeling that it evokes, right? Like, Absolutely. It's, oh, so good. And I, like I said during the interview, um, you'll hear me talk about it, but I told my wife, Sarah, before that we were interviewing her. And normally she doesn't 
get like we because we do a lot of like authors and stuff sarah doesn't really you know whatever she <laughs> but when i told her her name like i told her her name was sonia and she was just like okay i said do you know who that is and, her, <laughs> and, she goes, and i said maria she went like i didn't have to say from sesame street yeah. i just said maria and she knew who it was <laughs> that's amazing that's amazing yeah i mean it's yeah this was great this was, let's stop talking so people yeah. can hear it yeah i don't even think we need to introduce her no, um, we don't. Every, we just did. Yeah. Well, <laughs> the second, the, the amazing thing about these podcasts is when they call us, the second we hear these people's voices in our ears, it's like, yep. ah, there they are. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's so, that's LeVar Burton. You know what I mean? Yep. Like the second you it, hear their voice. Yeah. Or like when we talked to, we talked to Franks, we're like, oh, yeah. there's Riker. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so we're going to go play that for you right now. Hope you enjoy. Sonia, thank you so much for taking the time to talk. It's an absolute pleasure to have you here. Thank you. Um, I wanted to start off, um, I guess, with a, a somewhat serious question, and then we'll move on to some lighter topics. But um, you are someone who has dedicated your life to education, helping children navigate their way through various challenges. Sesame Street certainly was not afraid to take on big topics. I'm wondering how... How do we help kids understand the divisiveness and the hatred that has become just so commonplace in society, in this country especially? Well, I am so heartbroken uh, these days because of the results of our yeah. latest election. You're not alone. And, and of course, I'm not alone. And, it's, uh, uh, and I am mindful of all of the... Uh, information that children are getting from television and, and feeling from uh, the adult uh, uh, around them, and, and uh, especially kids who are afraid of being deported, kids who are disabled and saw the president-elect making fun of disabled people. They might have a parent who came back from the war and is disabled, um, girls who no doubt heard awful things said about girls and women. And first of all, I think it's very important that the adults of goodwill around these children really understand that the kids are picking up this information. It always surprises me when adults think uh, the, the kids, even just because they're four years old, they're not people enough yeah. to sense what's going on around them. Right. Uh, uh, I'll give you an example, a, a little example. I grew up uh, uh, during the civil rights movement, and I remember watching the bus boycott on television. And I and uh, I have a beloved cousin who's very light skinned, and I would would fantasize that if my cousin Eddie and I were in the South. I'd have to go to the back of the bus and he'd have to go to the front of the bus and then we'd get lost and never mm. find each other again. Mm. Yeah. So these, I remember that kind of just, you know, because nobody explained what was going on, but you'd see these horrible pictures on the television and you'd, you'd get the sort of bits and pieces of misinformation. And, and children are getting this kind of information and I... It would be awful if parents say, oh, they don't understand or they're not getting it. I've, I've read some statements on the, on the, on the Facebook of, of adults saying, 
oh, they must be hearing it from their parents. Well, they're hearing it from the world. Yeah. They, they are living, breathing people. They're just little. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I, so, sorry, go ahead. Well, go on. No, well, I, I just was, think that parents should just, uh, uh, you know, understand that they should listen, to, even if they don't have answers. And we yeah. certainly don't have any answers today. Yeah. They should listen to the kids. Yeah, absolutely. That was my... Yeah, my, my kids are, are five and seven and my daughter, who's the older one, was, um, you know, she wasn't watching the news for the past two years to see everything. But she was very excited that, you know, a woman was potentially mm-hmm. going to become president. And uh, she went to bed on Tuesday night and she woke up a couple times in the middle of the night and came into our room to ask us what happened. And we still didn't know. Um, and she was heartbroken on Wednesday morning. And the, the one thing once we found out the result that, you know, the, my very first thought was, you know, what do I tell my kids? Like, how do uh-huh. I explain this to them on many different levels? You know, how do I explain it? And uh, I think to this point, you know, in, in my role of being a father, that was probably the hardest conversation I've ever had. Uh, sure. Yeah. Sure. But, sure. Uh, okay. Sure. Mo- moving on to something, things that are hopefully a little bit happier than that. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's, let's, let's go back. Uh, from what I understand, you got the job on Sesame Street, um, fairly early on when you, after moving to New York, I'm just wondering, you know, quickly how, how that came about, how you ended up there. Well, I'm a New Yorker. I was born and raised in, right. New York, I'm sorry. Raised yeah, in the yeah. Bronx. Yeah. But so I was doing, you know, the show Godspell yeah. was a, a, big, a wonderful show that started at Carnegie Mellon University and uh, came to New York and it, that's really what rooted me in Manhattan. And Sesame Street was one of the first auditions I had. Uh, it was The show was first aired in 69, and uh, the target audience was African-American children in underserved areas. And then you know, at, that, at that time in America, it was the opposite of today. It was idealistic, and we were going to change the world, and mm-hmm. President Johnson was going to create a new the great society, and... It was, uh, and, and uh, everybody had a platform. So all of these Mexican-Americans on the West Coast said, you have wonderful role models for uh, African-Americans. How about some role models for the Latino children? And that's how I got cast as Maria as, uh, on the show. And Emilio Delgado got cast as, as Luis. Yeah. So we were, we were to be to the Latino kids what Susan and Gordon were to the African-American kids. And, you know... I always say the most important things happen to you when you're not paying the least bit of attention. It's <laughs> <laughs> <That's> very true. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, we meet our spouses when we don't think about it, you yeah. know, and uh, so, uh, so that's how it was. I thought, oh wow, it's probably going to end in a couple of years, and I stayed on this for forty-four years. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, yeah, I-, I read though that your audition was. Uh, it was, a, it was a bit for which one of these things is not like the others. Is that true? Yeah. How much yes, of that do you was, remember? Oh, I remember it very, you know, very, very clearly. It was uh, also a time in America and in television, in the television industry, when one person could make a decision. So I just I just met with one person, John Stone, who was a driving force of the show and the creator of the show in his office. And uh, uh, we chatted and... Uh, 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 he had me tell a scary story as if he was four years old and I told him scary story. And then he ha- I had to do a sorting 
explain what was the difference between two objects. And it was a trick question because there were two right answers. Mm. Uh, it was it was comparing a circle and a square, and one had the same pattern as the other, but the okay. shape. So there was two 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 right answers, and something about that it was uh, something about that uh, perked sort of my interest. That it was you know it wasn't it wasn't like this is this is what we're doing. It was open somehow to uh, to interpretation. Yeah. <laughs> You know, their whole concept and sort of I think that sort of really set the stage for me or set the scene for me, uh, you know, what I was going to sort of be a part of this show that, you know, had certain right answers, but it Mm -hmm. was certainly open ended a lot of the times as well. There's more than one right answer. You know, there's kind of like life in that way. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. There's, you know, people can infer things You take something like the. Lena Horne singing It's Not Easy Being Green with Kermit the Frog, and then that's, you're saying a lot more. Exactly. Than than if I was singing It's Not Easy Being Green with Kermit the Frog. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I I know growing up, you wanted to be an actress, and you wrote a lot about your childhood, and quite frankly, it was in a lot of, um, it was in frank detail in Becoming Maria, your, your memoir. How much support when you were younger, how much support did you have to chase that dream? I, frankly, uh, as I said in my book, Becoming Maria, Love and Chaos in the South Bronx, I didn't really uh, think about being an actor. I loved television. Mm-hmm. I loved Fred Astaire, Ginger Rogers movies. I would lose myself in in uh, in the fantasy of television because, as you know, I was r- raised in a household ruled by domestic violence and a lot of chaos. Mm-hmm. Uh, and But uh, I always loved the artistic world, but... I didn't really think about being an actress because I never saw any Hispanic actresses, but Rita Moreno was the only one in West Side Story. And mm-hmm. I mean, you know, you, you just didn't see that as an option. You didn't see any people, any Latins on television mm-hmm. at that time. You saw Mexican movies, and I, even then I knew that I wasn't Mexican. So, <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> And they lived in a rural environment, and I lived in the city. So right. that really wasn't an option. It was really going... Having to go to college and uh, having uh, such terrible grades, I had to go to schools that um, uh, you could get in on an audition. What happened was I had wonderful grades in the Bronx, brilliant. And then when I got into the High School of Performing Arts, the fame school, right. Uh, my grades dropped. I went from my A. You know, I was I was so smart in in the Bronx and completely <laughs> stupid in Manhattan for some reason <laughs> because the standards were so different. Very little was expected of me in a in an inner in the ghetto school. Yeah. Anyway, so when it was time to go to college, I said, "Oh, what am I going to do? I have a C average." So the only way to go was to find colleges that you could audition for. Hmm. I really went on like a, you know, like African-American boys go on sports scholarships now. And that was Carnegie Mellon University. I mean, of course, there was something there. Yeah. Uh, but it wasn't my prime goal. Yeah. Was, was, was Did you ever give thought to being a teacher? Uh, I did. I loved uh, story time. And I, when the teacher, when I was in kindergarten and the teacher, you'd sit around the teacher and she would tell a story. I thought I could really do that. 
then I think that's a bit theatrical in that in that yeah. essence. Absolutely. Yeah, telling a story was theatrical. So that was, um, and teachers have you know along the way been you know instrumental in kind of pointing me in the right direction. Well, I mean, the reason I ask is because once you got the role on Sesame Street, was there any was there any hesitation on your part? Like, did you feel up to this job of teaching so many kids? Well, I didn't see it that way. Uh, uh, I didn't see it as teaching. They kept uh, telling me that they just wanted me to be myself, to be natural, to be Dulcie Singer and John Stone. Uh, uh, And... uh, they wanted a real person. This was a time when there were no real Latins on television. I mean, there were no Latins on television. Yeah. And it was a time of very slick soap opera stars. And they wanted real, uh, you know, that, uh, that the kids connect with a real human. So they, and I kind of ran with it. So it wasn't teaching anything per se. It was kind of exposing myself and really being, which is really hard. It's easier to play a character. Sure. It's easier to be a puppeteer and be behind a puppet. I've seen brilliant puppeteers have to be on camera, and without that puppet, it's like deer in the headlights, you know. Yeah. Uh, so that's what what they wanted. So I didn't. Um, and yes, I mean, I remember Matt Robinson, the original Gordon, saying to me, "You're not here just to be the cute Latin, you know. You have to make sure." that all of the Hispanic content is appropriate. And I remember thinking, me, when did I become a spokesperson <laughs> for the Hispanic community? I just got here. You know. I'm looking political, you know, but uh, uh, he did put that idea in my head and uh, I did the best I could. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not funny, but it's, it's a little bit ironic. You know, you were saying when you were growing up, you didn't think about being an actress because you didn't see other people like you, you had, there was no, there wasn't a representation of other people that had your background or had your, your, your history. So you said that that's not something I could do because nobody else is doing it. And now suddenly you were thrust in the spotlight to be that person, to be that Mm -hmm. face for a generation at the time. You didn't know it was going to last for 45 years, but to be, to be that face for so many young kids. I think I, I became what I needed to be. I became what I needed to see myself on television yeah. when I was a kid. I mean, I remember conversations with girls on the on the fire escape. I uh, had a uh, when I was a little girl, and uh, uh, I, I everybody wants to be a ballerina, and I wanted to be a ballerina. <laughs> and I said to this girl, but I never saw a Puerto Rican ballerina. Uh, and, I remember, and I remember her saying, well, you could be the first one. I mean, everybody shouldn't have that onus on them that they have to be right. the first one. For, you know, that's one fact. And the other thing is what should have concerned me was that I can't dance. <laughs> <laughs> that should have been the normal first concern, would you say? <laughs> but it wasn't. It wasn't, huh? No, it wasn't the fact of whether I could dance or not, or was you know, it was that I had never seen a Latin person do it, you right. know. So it kind of gets everything skewed up. Yeah, but that, I mean, it shows how powerful that is. How how necessary yeah. that is for kids to see people like them mm-hmm. on screen, on stage, and you know, in the pages of a book. You know, it's 
Yeah. It's, yeah. it's, it's incredibly yeah. powerful. Well, and, and, yeah. and the, yeah. the reverse to that too, is I grew up in an area where we don't, we don't have very much diversity here. And so as a kid, when I watched Sesame Street and I saw, you know, what life was like there, I, I, you know, it was something new to me. And I was always like, you know, I wish I could have that where I live. I wish I had this much <laughs> diversity. And, you know, it's, it's, so it's interesting to see the, you know, the change between kids needing to see themselves and then ones that, you know, always see themselves in real life. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I've been up. Uh, it's been so gratifying. Uh, when when I retired, all the letters that I received and right and um, from adults that said, uh, uh, I mean, really heartbreaking things. Uh, one girl mm. said to me, "My mother was schizophrenic, and I found the hour I watched Sesame Street as soothing." Mm, wow. Pretty weird. Yeah. And, oh, somebody said, I was a gay, black, you know, uh, young man at a time when that was, you know, I was a target from mm-hmm. uh, from all sides. And uh, Sesame Street and you in particular were soothing. And people who said, you were the first person of color I ever saw on television that yeah. I, that yeah. I, that I, uh, saw as a real person and you know and i you know not that they're saying that they saw me as a real person i'm saying i was the first person Mm -hmm. of color they saw as a real person i'm sure they were people of color in their lives (laughs) yeah they didn't really focus on them yeah (laughs) as as being a part of them so uh, i was gonna say does it ever get overwhelming for you to you know if you actually sit and think about the lives you've affected you know, just through through your career, like I mentioned it to my wife that we were interviewing you, and you know she hasn't watched Sesame Street since she was a kid, and her eyes just lit up. So I can't imagine what people, you know, the, you're interviewing Maria. She goes Maria. I, was like, well, you, I mean, she played Maria, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, like does yeah. does that well, ever get overwhelming I, you know, at all for you? No, it doesn't get overwhelming. I but I think that people uh, do connect with someone who's. Um, who's as sincere as possible, I guess. Mm-hmm. And, but, and also I'm a, I'm a sort of a catalyst. You know, I remind them at that time that they were sitting on their mother's laps at five years old because kids weren't in school in those days. They were home uh, when the show was first aired. This is before daycare and before women joined the workforce, don't forget. And I think that five and six years old is that sort of age where kids are just they're just seeing themselves a little bit separate from their parents. They're on the cusp of, you know, seeing the world through their own eyes. Mm-hmm. And uh, at, so at that time, they're watching, I mean, imagine, you're watching Sesame Street, you're watching all these cool mm-hmm. films of all these kids all over the world, from Africa to Appalachia, and you're sitting on your mother's lap. And then those are wonderful memories. And then you meet me. So then <laughs> I've always, all of a sudden you're remembering all of that stuff. You right. know, and I think that's a, a big impact. That's part of it. Not to take away from my own brilliance. And right. contribution. <laughs> 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 well, I think that has something to do with it. <laughs> well, I mean, in, in addition though, to playing Maria, you, well, I think a lot of people probably don't even know that you were an accomplished writer for the show and you won, was it 15 Emmys? Yes, yes. I mean, that's uh, astonishing. Yeah. I mean, and I think most people have, don't even, uh, don't even know. And it's just, they think of, when they, when they see you or think of you, they think Maria, they don't think that you were one of the writers. How did you yeah, fall into yeah. writing on the show? Like what, what led to that switchover? Well, uh, 
Acting is probably, unless, of course, you're a huge, powerful film star or television star, it's probably the the low on the totem pole of power uh-huh. in television, I think. And uh, as I said, unless you're Denzel Washington. But, right. So, uh, and, and others like him. But um, uh, so I was on the show for like five years, and I just loved the show, but I thought I had contributed all I could as a performer. And I wanted to do more. And they kept saying to me, I would, you know, I would read all the scripts and I wanted to know how the show functions. And they would ask me about the Latino content. And I would say, well, I think you should do this. And I think this would be appropriate. And, um, and then they would, they would take me up on some of my notions. And then finally, they, the Dulcie Singer, the producer said, why don't you try writing this yourself? Now, this is important because, you know, there's so much, um, uh, uh, you know, television, uh, people of, you know, when people of color get on TV shows and then they're, uh, they fail. And they, I always think they fail because the people who are uh, in control are not the people of color. Mm-hmm. You know, it's somebody else. Yeah. So, so, so. So you look at a show like Atlanta. I love that show. I'm, I think it's, I guess it's on FX. It's, it's, it's a terrific cable show. Mm-hmm. But all of the people are of color who are writing it, and it's a great story. Right. So I think that at that time, uh, uh, the people at Sesame Street understood that. And they said, you know, if we want to reach children, Latino kids, we need to have her write it. Yeah. They that's impressive. That. I mean, that's that that was. I mean, you, we it's always a, say Sesame Street took risks, but you know, I think a lot of people don't realize they took risks behind the scenes as well. Yes, they took risks. Be- I mean, I had never written anything in my life, and let me tell you, I really backtracked. Yeah. You know, I didn't. I never wrote anything. I always tell this crummy joke of uh, <laughs> that my household was so devoid of pencil and paper and literature that. Uh, my father had to resort to writing a phone number on the kitchen wall with my mother's <laughs> eyebrow pencil <laughs> one day. <laughs> and so, so, you know, I really, so, but, so I think that they, you know, I have to kudos to Dulcie Singer and that sensibility of, of, of that show in the early years where they really said, I'm not hiring you so you could tell me what I already know. I right. want to know what you know. <laughs> right. And that's now it's, yeah, I was going to say that's brave. You know, I mean, it was it was brave for then and it's still brave today because unfortunately that that kind of thinking is still relatively rare from what I understand. I mean, I'm not in the industry, yeah. but it's still rare. Yeah, yeah. To say, okay, here, you do it. You do the show and yeah. uh, we'll see what happens. Or or just uh, to admit what you don't know and to say, you know, I'm, I'm not hiring you just for your face or just for your acting abilities, but I'm hiring you to help me because there's there's this whole thing that I just don't know about and I can't speak to with authority, but you can. Exactly, exactly. I, I mean, we- you have, and that, and the, 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 that's what a real producer does yeah. to me. They, yeah. they, they create the environment where and where everybody thinks it's their idea, but it's really yours. No, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. No, but no, but that they kind of rally up to you know. They said we want to really reach these kids, and you know we think we need a real Latin voice. And you know, yeah. How about you? <laughs> yeah. Kudos to them for that. 
kudos to yeah. that. I mean, you you mentioned though that you know it was taking a few steps back because it was something that you had never had never done before. So it was, you know, teaching yourself basically this whole new skill. Um, but you've also said that you got bitten by that writing by that writing bug. You know, and I mean, so like you you yeah, wrote yeah. For the show for so many years, and now you've written several books. You know, you've written a novel, a memoir. What is it about writing? as opposed to something like acting that really stretches the creative muscles for you? Well, it's two different disciplines. Uh, uh, acting, uh, you don't want to think too much. You want to just go from moment to moment. You want to uh, 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 express yourself through what somebody else has written, but it's your emotions and the way you were you're acting something out. Whereas writing is more precise. You get to look, go back and polish and make it, um, uh, make the words uh, exactly the way that you want. And I think that uh, uh, acting is more collaborative. Mm -hmm. You're talking to a puppet. You're speaking another act, uh, a writer's word. You're fooling around with the camera and seeing what angle it's, you're being shot from right. and so there's a lot of fit, a lot of players when you perform uh when you write it's just you and that's thrilling to me yeah um uh you know putting down on paper the way you feel about things and everybody feels very specifically different you know i mean what about about everything and that's the challenge of course mm. is writing how uh, how I felt as opposed to how other people feel about the same things. Yeah. Yeah. When you, when you sat down to write your memoir, did you feel any hesitation to, to tell your story, you know, as truthful as you could, knowing that you were going to be presenting yourself in this way that, that, that was so different from how you were popularly seen? I I suppose so. I yes, I was nervous. You know, it took me so long to write it though that both my parents passed away before it was published. Oh. How, <laughs> long did, wondered, how long did it take to write? Oh, it just took, you know, you'd write a draft and you'd forget about it and then you you know, it got turned down by people and then you you'd listen to what they said and, and you really had to I had to teach to find the voice of it and you know, there were drafts that went up through my Sesame Street life, and now the memoir ends when I auditioned for the show. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, and then I had to find a, uh, an editor that liked it as well. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, a very long process, and uh, and you know, I really had to. Um, I went to see my father again because I wanted to see how this book was going to end. Yeah, <laughs> we had been estranged and. And, um, you know, I was able to have conversations with him about, uh, about our life. And so, uh, so that, that part of it was, was really hard. And yeah. I remember one part I had to write that I was describing them. Uh, they would uh, talk about Puerto Rico. I had never been there. And really? so it was a foreign, no, I, I, I didn't go there until I was like 14 or something, huh. but they would describe this uh, horrible um, uh, poverty, children drowning and being abandoned and drowning in sewers that were built mm -hmm. under these slums where people lived. It was just horrible. And then they would also sing, it would make them nostalgic for Puerto Rico and they would sing beautiful songs about it. Mm -hmm. 
and then I think, okay, which is it? Is it a terrible place or is it a wonderful place? <laughs> you know, so that, you know, I think that that's uh, the, you know, the immigrant and migrant child who always walks that fine line of, mm-hmm. you know, uh, of of feeling two things at the same time. Sure. And so, uh, you know, I remember that. And then I used to be, then they used to tell these terrible jokes like, uh, did you hear the one about the peasant who was so poor he kept infecting his wounds in order to stay on the dole in order to support his family? And then they would laugh at that. And I would think, that's not funny. Why are they laughing at that? That's a terrible story. Now, when I realized the environment, you know, that very harsh environment creates harsh people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and uh, I only, as an adult, I realized that the depth of their laughter was the depth of the poverty that they had endured. Yeah. And that as an American here, I mean, uh, Puerto Ricans have been American since 1921, but as an American here, I had the luxury to feel sorry for people because I was eating three times a day. Right. You know? Right. And what is it they yeah. say? So, I, I knew somebody who would always say, you have to laugh to keep from crying. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So th- that's yeah. In, it's interesting that you say, you know, the, writing the book led you back to your father. Um, do you think, uh-huh. would that have happened if you hadn't been writing the book, do you think? I don't think so. Yeah. I think it's it sort of, I had to to see, I mean, there were so, so, so many loose ends. You're writing yeah. a memoir, and you have to sort of come to conclusions. Yeah. <laughs> and I think the most interesting conclusion is that, you know, uh, he had a whole different take about what... All of my siblings had a different take about what was going down in the house. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So it's, it's like, well, you, you have... A, 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 Jamie, you said you have two children? Yes. Each one will see you differently. They already do. <laughs> they, they'll grow up and they'll talk about you and you'll say, that, did we grow up in the same yeah. house? I mean, <laughs> Who are you talking about? Because that is not me you're describing. <laughs> yeah. And they will say to each other, that's dad. No, that's not dad. And, and, and there you are. So, uh, uh, you know, people say, well, I'm going to write my memoir and it's going to upset my family. And I'll say, no, it won't because they're going to have a totally different take on what happened. And, you know, yeah. and uh, you, you won't agree on the truth. I mean, you agree on, on events, but you, but the emotional journeys are different. And that's what a memoir is. It's yeah. the emotional journey, not facts. Yeah. I, I hate this word, but did that process, you know, of writing your story and of talking to your father, and I mean, was was there closure? Like, was there reconciliation? I mean, are you happy that you went through that? Uh, no, uh, no. Well, happy that I went through what I went through. What do you no, mean? No, ha- happy uh, that you went through the process of writing the book to to sort of come to terms with everything and talk to him and and get it all out. Yeah. Yes. I'm I'm happy that I did that and. Uh, 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 you know, people use the word forgive. Did you, mm-hmm. you forgive? And I don't know that that's uh, a word that I could use, but there's more understanding and perspective. Sure. Yeah. And that's sometimes that's, that's more important. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, you have to have a relationship with somebody in order to forgive them, you know. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. So. Shifting gears just a little bit, we we recently had LeVar Burton on the show, 
and he, uh-huh. he was very enthusiastic about taking Reading Rainbow into the digital sphere. Um, and I'm curious what your take on this is, because with the, you know, with, with so many kids reading on tablets and, you know, digital this, digital that, everything taking off, how do we get more kids and their families into the libraries? Like, how do we get them to read in ways that maybe reading on a tablet is not replacing, that the, the process and the experience that it's not replacing? Well, first let me backtrack, and I because I I have a few strong feelings about uh, the way we're educating kids today. We're so like data obsessed, right? Mm-hmm. That we it's data, data, data. We love data, <laughs> and I think it's because of computers. So if you can't count it, we don't think it's worthwhile. Right. So kids are 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 kind of being forced to read certain things at a certain time and they have to get certain thoughts from it or they don't pass the test if they don't get these facts from whatever they're reading. And I think that we're, you know, without meaning to sort of taking the joy Mm -hmm. of reading or, you know, they can't have fairy tales. I can't believe that people aren't reading fairy tales anymore. They were just, because they're politically incorrect, they can't read, um, What's the one that Hansel and Gretel? Yeah, the Grimm, the Brothers Grimm stories. The Brothers Grimm stories because they're too, you know, so yeah. so that reading, what's the point of reading? It, it, yeah. It's uh, uh, to pass a test. I think that that's, that's uh, um, uh, where we're going a little bit wrong. And I, But I think that whether they read it on, on a device, it, to me that doesn't matter. Because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a television was a device. Mm-hmm. Sesame Street used that device to do great things. Yeah. It was, a, you know, you could use it for good things. You could use it for bad things. I love the fact that on my Kindle, I have like 500 books on it that I could refer to. You know, I could travel with it. Mm-hmm. And I do like also to have a hard, uh, uh, you know, a yeah. hard, uh, hard copy of, of a story. But I think that that's, that's the thing. It's the involvement uh, in a story regardless of where you're getting it. Yeah. By the way, I thought that reading Rainbow, that was brilliant in how mm-hmm. he was able to involve you in this story. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's, it's such a good point. You say, you know, like television, we, we think, I mean, those of us who, who remember the, our only choice of reading was paper, you know, but, you know, seeing an iPad or a tablet just as another device, you know, television was just a device. And you're right. Sesame yeah. Street and Reading Rainbow, you guys did amazing things for literacy. And it was just through this non-conventional mm-hmm. device. Yeah. So, uh, I, I, you know, I just think that that's, I mean, you could, that's an argument that one could have. But, uh, you know, what you're reading on. But uh, uh, I think it's, it's involvement in the story. I mean, I've heard kids say... I went to give a speech once recently, and uh, the teacher said, oh, my kid is like, my kids hate school. Oh, what grade are they in? Third. I said, what's the hate? I mean, (laughs) it's just just like this relentless kind of, you know, jamming information down your throats, not letting them bring anything to the table. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I'll just tell you a quick story. Uh, yeah. You know, I love Charlotte's Web, the wonderful story of the sure. mm-hmm. the, the pig who was going to be slaughtered and the spider who, who saved. 
well, I just love that story, but I thought that Wilbur the pig was a real jerk. (laughs) You know, and when I analyzed, why did I think, and I thought, poor Charlotte, she's got so much to do. She's got all this work to do. She's got to have all these little spiders. She's got to do, 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 do. Why is he being such a load? And obviously, because I was surrounded by overwhelmed women who had, too many children. So that was my my life on that story. That was my interpretation. So yeah. maybe, but if you had, if it was in the days of testing and you had tested me, I would have failed. But you can't mm-hmm. tell me I wasn't completely involved in that in that book. Right. It, oh. You know. And but that's the point of reading mm-hmm. is that it challenges you and then it makes you think about things from a different way. I mean, you were reading that book and you didn't see a pig and a spider. You saw the world around you. And that's yeah. the point. Right. And you're absolutely right. That's not what so many kids today are getting <laughs> out of the process of reading. They're not seeing the world around them. They're not inferring and, and making comparisons and seeing analogies. It's just right. It's data. Right. What numbers can we pull it, out? It's kids? data. It's data. And I, I, I don't know if this is true. You guys would know because you have little children but you know some that people aren't even reading uh fiction anymore it's all data and you know yeah my my daughter she is reading fiction but they do put it in um uneven emphasis on Mm -hmm. non-fiction explanatory text um but yeah so it's not as much fiction as i as i would like and as she would like but yeah so, so how what what is the text of I mean, what is it that they're, are they learning like history? Or, well, it's, it's just different forms of like, they, either they call it explanatory text or informative text. So it's a lot of science and, and history, social studies, little readers. I mean, she's only in second grade at this point. So, but she comes home with these little science readers about spiders or about, you know, the flag yep. or about, you know, the government or something like that. And they're supposed to pull yeah. out the main idea and the details and, you know, arguments and, um, author's purpose and I mean all really important things for learning how to read mm-hmm. but it's an yeah. it's, it's an uneven weight they 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 emphasize the informative text much more than they do fiction yeah yeah of course if the informative text is well written that helps sure put it's it in true that form of a <laughs> of an interesting story uh uh so it's not uh a lot of well many meaning children shows yeah. lately are coming across like uh, animated textbooks. They're not, you know, they have no point of mm-hmm. view somehow. But, well, and that, uh, that's so. like the books that my son brings home. They're just, there's no story to them. It's just like, we're going to the grocery store. Here are the apples. This is the fruit. Like, it's just, you know what I mean? There's nothing, there's no story to right, it. No it's, right. It's yeah. not like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a pie or it's the end <laughs> exactly. of the world. I better go yeah. to the store. Then that's the story, yeah, you know? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, want, I wanted to ask, looking back on everything that you've done, um, Sesame Street in particular, we've, we've mentioned, wasn't afraid to tackle these big, serious topics. And in a very real way, it helped kids understand and deal with the world. You know, we talked about what you had said, you know, kids seeing themselves, seeing people of color. I clearly remember um, when Mr. Hooper died. I clearly mm-hmm. remember um, when the show tried to address the, the Challenger explosion. Um, and it did these things. I mean, it, it didn't just touch on them and then move on. Like it, 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 it really genuinely tried to help kids understand what was happening. And it did that, mm-hmm. you know, it, it had grace and sensitivity in the process. 
um, not many people can claim to to have taken part in something that is such a, a, a touchstone of, of American culture as you have. Um, but is, is there something that you look back on or is there, is there an issue or is there, was there a topic or was there a single episode or maybe not even something from Sesame Street that was on screen, but is there something that you look back on with just particular pride? So many things, but I think what you mentioned, and then once again, I'll mention this uh, producer, Dulcie Singer, who encouraged me to write and who uh, was responsible for the goodbye, Mr. Hooper. Yeah. I was most proud of the show. Uh, and I wasn't a writer at that time for tackling um, such a uh, topic. And uh, what they did was they have a wonderful research department who who found out what children were, what literature was out there on a particular topic for kids, and then, you know, figured out with their psychologists yeah. what what kids uh, needed to know about death and dying and uh, and then put it in a wonderful story, yeah. you know, where, uh, of course, the truth was that Will Lee, Mr. Hooper, did die. But at the end of the show, a baby is born and Big Bird says, isn't that something? Mr. Hooper was always here and now he's not. But that baby was never here and now it is. Yeah. That's the the brilliance of storytelling where you're not just giving data about death, yeah. <laughs> but you're, you're wrapping it up in, in an you're, emotional story. You're making it real. Making and it I mean, real. There, yeah. I mean, to this day, that was, that was what, 40 years ago. I mean, yeah. to this day, I can watch those clips on YouTube and I will still start to cry. And I mean, just right now thinking <laughs> about it and you, you talking about Big Bird in that scene. And I mean, just thinking about those mm-hmm. scenes with Big Bird and you, and it's just, it's making me choke yeah. up right now. And it's just well, that's the power of that, <laughs> that that show had is that, yeah. you know, it, it, it taught, it talked to the kids like they were people. It yep. didn't, like it didn't talk down to right. them. It didn't pander mm-hmm. to them. It didn't say you're a child, you're four or five. You couldn't possibly understand. So we're just going to gloss over this. It didn't shy away. And it, yeah. it treated kids yeah. like, like people. Like people, like they're people, and that, and not like they're stupid people, but yeah. they're just—they have less information, and but they do have a sense of humor, and they don't want to live. And yeah. we had a direct a producer, John Stone, the guy who auditioned me, the creator of the show. He said that all that stuff on Peter Pan, "I'll never grow up, never yeah. grow up, never grow up," is <laughs> like a fallacy. Kids want to grow up; they oh, want to yeah. have power; they want to <laughs> know what's going on. So. Uh, I think that's true. And of course, my marriage was very exciting. My marriage, (laughs) my birth. I always call them the hot, the golden years of Sesame Street. (laughs) They were the golden years. (laughs) The 80s, right. Yeah. What what do you think that you would be doing now or what would you have been doing for the last 20 to 30 years if Sesame Street had never been part of your life? Which direction would you have gone in? I I thought I was going to be an actress like in regional theater. Okay. Because regional theater did a lot of Shakespeare, and so, and they cast all kind, all all races in Shakespeare, and I thought that was going to be my shot because, yeah. you know, I didn't see any plays. I wasn't going to be in our town, you know, and yeah. you know, at that time the only the only uh, people of color were in like you know the Black Hamlet, and they were like once every ten years or something that Joe <laughs> Pap did it. So that's what I was going to try to pursue. But, you know, thank heaven I didn't have to 
try that. Thank, thank goodness, and and we're all the richer for it. So thank you, thank, no, you, so thank you, Sonia. Thank you. This is it's been a pleasure. Thank you thank for you so forty five years of memories because really it's just it's it's been amazing. Thank you. Well, we've spoken for forty six minutes, so that's uh, well, that seems one so perfect for a year. <laughs> oh, come on, it's a nice song. Well, okay, but you I'll start off. All right, I'll start off. Well, now, who are the people in your neighborhood? In your neighborhood, in your neighborhood. Say, who are the people in your neighborhood? The people that you meet each day. As long as you look like... We need to come back in (laughs) to the next segment. Uh, One of my favorite Sesame Street songs was the In the Neighborhood one. Oh, yeah. The friend that you meet in the neighborhood. That one? Oh, I love that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that song. Put put a clip of that in. I'm going to find it when we're coming back in right now as we're talking. Okay. Because a grocer is a person in your neighborhood. In your neighborhood. He's in your neighborhood. The grocer is a person in your neighborhood. It's going to be playing, and then it is. So I'm going to find it. Yeah. All right, good. <laughs> good, good, good. Yeah, I uh, I used to have, growing up, I used to have a lot of the records. Right. Um, you know, there were, like, some songs, and then, like, in between the songs, there were mm-hmm. the characters, the, the Muppet characters talking. So there was, like, a story that yeah. ran throughout the record. And I found them at my parents' house, whoa, years ago. And I ripped them to MP3. And when both of my kids were young, they would like we would listen to them in the car all the time. Wow! And one of my favorites from when I was a kid, which we listened to again and again with my kids now. Um, and I don't know if you ever had it. It's the one where Bert is trying to take a bath. Yes. And yeah. they come in. They would. They want. I think it was just called Sesame Street Sing Along. Yeah. Was the record. So Bert was in the bathroom and then Ernie comes in and he says, we're having a sing along. Mm-hmm. And then like with each song that goes by, more and more people come in yeah. like, and Bert comes in, <laughs> yeah. Oscar the Grouch comes in and like these guys on motorcycles come in and poor Bert's just, he wants to get a towel so he can get out and nobody's giving him a towel. They just keep singing songs. <laughs> I love, love that record. <laughs> I love Sesame Street so much. And I had a question. Do you ever feel bad for your kids? I know I do when you realize they don't get to grow up with like the gold, like she said, the golden years of Sesame street or, you know, reading rainbow, the things that we got to see. Sometimes I feel bad that they don't get to, you know, I do. (laughs) I mean, Sesame street is still around. I mean, it's on HBO now, so it's a little bit harder to watch. Yeah. Um, you know, but those, even the golden years, like they're still around. And, Aside from some of the fashion and the hair, they right. age really, really well. So, I mean, kids can still watch them. And I say that, but, you know, we say, I say the same thing. Be like, oh, cartoons were so much better when I was a kid. We had right. He-Man and Transformers yeah, yeah. and G.I. Joe. And then I go back and I watch those shows now. Right. And they were awful. They're not as good. We yeah. just – they were just bad shows, yeah. you know. And we loved them because that's what we had. And, you know, kids today – there are a lot of terrible shows out, sure. Mm-hmm. But they also had some really good ones. Like yeah, they do. when Zoe was younger, she loved these shows. I mean, The Wonder Pets yep. and um, Nihao Kailan mm-hmm. and um, um, Dinosaur Train. Mm-hmm. You know, these Dinosaur are shows Train's that great. Yeah. they're great shows that are they're, they weren't as overtly educational mm-hmm. as something like Sesame Street or Reading Rainbow were. But they kids were still learning something. Right. They were learning about dinosaurs or mm-hmm. sharing or or spelling. You know, what, what was that other show? Um, Word World. Um, Super Y. I don't know if you yeah, ever seen yeah, Super yeah, Y yeah, on yeah. PBS Kids. Yep. Um, so I mean, there are lots my, of great. My kids education. really like Arthur. 
Yeah. That's a, you know, still classic, right? It's still great. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. So yes, I do I feel bad that they don't get to grow up knowing Gordon and Luis and Maria. Sure. Yeah. But they have other things. They do. It's and and they'll a... and they'll remember like we don't know what's going to be nostalgic, right? When we're when they're older right. yet. But yeah, I get it. Yeah. You're right. You're right. Whatever, you're right. I'm sorry. <laughs> I hate being right. <laughs> No, that was, yeah, that was so much fun. Have, and I know we're, there's probably nobody listening anymore, but have you ever been to the, the Sesame Place? Have you ever been? We've there? been many times. Is it, is it, I've never been and I've, and now my kids are, I feel like they're probably too old for it. Uh, I would say Hannah's too old. Yeah. I would love uh, to still go though. Is it like set up like so the. I, I grew up about an hour from it. Okay. And I never went when I was wow. a kid. And I don't know why I, I should ask my mom. My mom, my mom, um. I don't know if she it was like you have to shame just, her for that. Mom, I, I, yeah, <laughs> I don't know why we never went, but we never went. And so I think the first time I went was when I had kids and we went up and we had uh, it's owned by the same company that owns like Bush Gardens. Gotcha. Now. Yeah. So one year, I think it was two or three years ago, we had season passes that included every it was SeaWorld, Bush Gardens, right. Sesame Place. They're all yeah. owned by the same company. Yeah. And so we went to Sesame Place a, a number of times. It's small. Right. Um, but, you know, in the rides there, there's one little roller coaster, which is a Super Grover roller coaster, mm-hmm. which means it's the best roller coaster in the world because yeah. it's got Super Grover. Anyway, the rides there are for younger kids. Mm-hmm. There's there is it's like ha- if you go in the summer, it's like split halfway between water rides and, and dry rides. Um, the the main part of the of the park is like this one road that goes down the middle. Right. And it's made to look like Sesame street. Wow. So it's like, there's a lot of like the, the storefront houses and, and that's all what I was car- wondering. Do they have, it doesn't look like the set of the show. Um, there, the, that one part, does. Yeah. the one street, yeah, like you can see like, um, Oscar's nice. place. And that's where all the characters that are in costume that you can take pictures of, take pictures yeah. with, they all, most of them stand along there. And then both sides of that street are where all the rides are. Um, it's fun. If your kids still like, Sesame Street. Mm-hmm. Um, it's and you're in the area. It's just it's like an hour north of Philadelphia. Right. Um, I would definitely recommend it. I mean, it's it's a lot of fun with little kids. It's right. not once they get. I mean, once they if they have no interest in Sesame Street or if they get any older than like, gosh, seven or eight, probably mm-hmm. they're probably too old for it. No, I'm considering just popping in and getting pictures with all the characters for me, not even the kids. Totally so. worth it. <laughs> Yeah, just go because in and get the we wait in line. Leave, right? the, the kids, the kids want to take pictures of the characters, and then I was like, "Okay, not my turn." Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if Grover's get there, my I, I will absolutely take pictures oh, of, of Grover. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, <laughs> yeah. So this was a fantastic Sesame Street episode, and, and <laughs> the first of many. I first, hope. Yeah, and Jamie is trying to get more, more people and actors and puppeteers mm-hmm. from Sesame Street. So we will see how that goes. But if you're listening, other people. You gotta, you gotta come. I'm sure they're listening. I'm sure Gordon's listening right now. Oh yeah, except his name's not Gordon. <laughs> no, no, exactly. We'll pretend. Roscoe, if you're listening, come on the show. Don't ruin my <laughs> illusion. <laughs> All right. So if you want to get in contact with us, we are at the GBB Podcast on Facebook and Twitter, and I am Justin at 140 Justin C. And I am Jamie at the Roarbots. And thanks for listening. We will see you next time on the Great Big Beautiful Podcast. Oh, Take care. I know who you are. Yeah, hi, Bob. You're the doctor, right? Yeah. Oh, a doctor works the whole day long to keep you feeling well and strong. This podcast has been a production of the Geek Dad Podcast Network. If you've enjoyed this content, please consider supporting us at patreon.com slash geekdad. Because a doctor is a person in your neighborhood. 
in your neighborhood. He's in your neighborhood. And a grocer is a person in your neighborhood. You tell him, grocer. The people that you meet when you're walking down the street, they're the people that you 